Hey, this is Chuck Billy from Testament right here on Mars Attack. Hey, this is Tim Ripper Owens. This is Bobby Bliss from Overkill. You stay tuned. Hey, this is Ron Bumble for Fall of Guns N' Roses, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dave Winner from Monster Magnet. Hello, everybody. This is Michael Kiske talking. Hey, this is Richard Patrick from Filter. Hey, everybody, what's happening? This is John Bush, and you're cranking it up on Mars Attacks. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Don Jameson from Pat Metal Show on DH1 Classic. Hey, this is Kurt Winstein from Crowbar. Hey, this is Richard Christie from the band Charred Walls of the Dam. Yeah, this is John Schaefer from Iced Earth. Hey, this is Rex Brown from Kill Devil Hill. Hi, this is Tom Rana Peace, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Yow! This is Vinny Apsey from Kill Devil Hill, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. <laughs> To episode 74 of the Mars Attacks podcast, I'm your host Victor, and during today's episode we have a very special interview with Charlie D'Angelo, bass player of Arch Enemy and Spiritual Beggars. This interview is going to focus on Spiritual Beggars. They just put a new album out recently, and that first track that we heard a snippet from is is what? Road to Madness off of Earth Blues by Spiritual Beggars. Uh, I was lucky enough to speak to Charlie uh, shortly before the album came out, and in a little bit we'll check the interview out. But as usual, I'd like to play some music for you guys, at least some snippets of cool songs that I've been checking out recently. Uh, Let's kick things off with something that uh, people have been poo-pooing a little. The latest Megadeth. I don't know. I dig it. Um, Macho Man Randy Savage there. Dig it. Anyway. 
I think the, you know, if you take it for what it's worth, it's a hard rock album. It's not a thrash album. It's really not all that metal. Uh, I think the album stands up. You know, I think it's pretty cool. Uh, Let's check out the title track. This is Super Collider, coming off of Super Collider by Megadeth. Super Collider by Megadeth, title track of their latest album. Again, much maligned at the moment. I think looking back, people will enjoy it, and you know you can't please all of the people all the time, as they say. Anyway, let's keep things going with the album that's probably going to be the number one album in America coming into this week. It is 13 by Black Sabbath. Now, the only thing that I want to say about this track or this album is the following. A lot of the riffs that are used during this album are reused, refried riffs, if you will. Some of them were used during the Tony Martin era, and even some of them were used during the last Heaven and Hell album. So, I mean, I've known other groups to do this. Kiss, for example, where you have songs like The Oath and Exciter. More or less the same riffs, more or less the same chords, just reworked slightly. Wasn't a hit the first time around, so they went back and, you know, went back and tried to pull something else out of the barrel again, and it was the same thing. Who knows? Who knows what the reasoning was, but anyway, it doesn't take anything away from the album. I still think 13 is a pretty cool album, and it's awesome that it's going to be number one, if that's what it ends up being. And this is the track that everyone seems to love. It is called Loner by Black Sabbath. Got 
coming off of 13 by Black Sabbath. Uh, Remember, if you guys like any of the tracks that we play, we do encourage you to go out to iTunes or Amazon and purchase the track. If you're going to Amazon, CD or MP3, whatever works best for you. And if it's iTunes, obviously it's going to be a digital download. Remember that we do have links now uh, for the Affiliates program to not only Amazon and iTunes, but for a bunch of other great, great, Stores, um, retailers, however you want to put it, various music stores uh, like Godlike, which sells pedals. Uh, We have uh, ZZZ Music, which sells instruments. We have uh, SheetMusicPlus.com. We have HBO.com, FX.com, WWE.com, a bunch of different things. So what you got to do to get there is if you see... The section on the right-hand side that says help keep us alive, click on that and just go to the page. See any of the retailers that you like, click on that, go over to their stores and purchase whatever you want. What takes place is that we get varying kickbacks depending upon what you purchase. There's no additional cost on your end, but thanks to us providing them with a lead, they help Keep the podcast alive. The podcast isn't going anywhere, but, you know, there are costs to this, and any little bit that we can get helps. Uh, We also have the donation button going now. Um, At first, I was sort of hesitant. I know that there was a big-name former MTV VJ that I listened to his podcast and absolutely hated that it sounded like a, a Jerry Lewis telecast, or telethon, excuse me. But after mulling it over, uh, why not? If others are doing it and... You know, why not? I'm not expecting anyone to go out and donate a thousand bucks, but if you could, you know, donate a dollar, five dollars, twenty, whatever it is, we would appreciate it. Uh, we're contemplating putting shirts together and different things. So if you do donate a certain amount, you get something else in return. So we'll see. We're working on that in the next few weeks, and we'll get back to you on that. Getting back to iTunes, remember that you could subscribe to the podcast via iTunes. We're also up on Stitcher now. So if you have an Android phone or an Android app, if you're anti-Apple, anti-iPhone, anti-iPad, whatever it is, it's your prerogative. It's cool. You know, whatever whatever you want to use is fine by us, just as long as you listen. So go to Stitcher, subscribe, and you'll get all the latest and greatest Mars Attacks podcast episodes uh, right there on your phone tablet or if you have one of these uh, smart TVs where you could add the app what else Mark Striegel Media well we're going to change the name I guess it's up on Facebook already Uh, the cat is sort of out the cat is sort of out of the bag Um, I guess I guess I can say this the name of the stream is now Talking Metal Digital So uh, what this is going to become is sort of a joint thing between uh, Mark and John from Talking Metal and myself. As we mentioned during the live show, so if you guys have been paying attention, Friday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, usually between an hour and an hour and a half, usually do a live show. Last week I did it solo for a bit and we had John Astronomy come on and chit-chat for a little bit. 
And normally we have Mark Striegel on. This week we're going to have him at a remote location. And that'll that'll actually, if you listen to this episode when it first airs, it'll be what airs right before it. So I'm taping this right before I do this show in about an hour and a half, two hours and a half, I should say. Uh, but uh, yeah, so if you go to the stream... You go to Live365, Striegel123, or you can go to the homepage of Talking Metal, MarsAttacksRadio.com, either one, and you click on the widget that's on the right-hand side, the Live365 player, you're going to be able to hear what we're doing uh, Friday nights. After the episode or the live show airs, you'll hear this podcast before anyone else. So last week, for example, we debuted the newest classic albums column we debuted it right on the stream so it aired right after so after the live show takes place you're gonna hear different episodes of mars attacks afterwards at this point in time we have a bunch of the classic albums column or classic albums podcast lined up so there are quite a few hours of listening to me talk about albums with various hosts or various guest hosts i should say various guests Mark Striegel, Charlie Benante, Doro Pesh, Gene Hoagland, uh, Alan Tecchio, uh, Mitch LaFon, uh, who else? Dave Reffitt, Martin Popoff. There you go. Bunch of different people, and we have different guests. For example, when we did the episode on the, the cleansing, it's actually cleansing by prong. We had Tommy Victor of prong do an, uh, an interview which aired during the podcast, and then... On the website, you could go to the, um, the the exact post and then see what Ted Parsons, the drummer on that album, had to say about you know his time in prong and what he's doing now and and this and that. Uh, so it's a two part thing here where we have written comments on the website and we have the comments that we've received over the phone or uh, you know via Skype within the podcast. So definitely check it out. A lot of very cool stories and comments. And not everything is a home run. Not everyone is saying, hey man, I love this to death. There's plenty of people, you know, saying, I think this album sucks or I don't like this because of this. And that's cool. You know, I don't want everything to be, you know, <laughs> a, a sunshiny day. I want various, you know, opinions in there. I want to sort of, you know, get people going and think, you know, uh, do I like this album? Do I not like it? Do I revisit it? Because I haven't listened to it in a long time. You know, one of those things where a lot of people said to me uh, via Facebook, you know what? Uh, I don't like Guns N' Roses. I think it's overrated, whatever. And I went back to them and said, okay, I understand you could be, you know, sick of the singles, but check out, you know, tracks like, uh, it's so easy or tracks like night train or things like that you know these are songs that still kick ass and they really haven't been you know played to death so that's sort of the whole idea either checking an album out for the first time or going back and revisiting it for you know the first time in a long time and realizing why you like the band you know when you first listened to them or, or when you were turned on to a specific album and in the end, it's all cool music. It's all important music to the evolutionary chain that is hard rock and metal. And again, it helps you know fuel the fire of discussions and 
you know, you have people saying, this is great, this isn't great. You know, for example, on Facebook, I had someone say, uh, Among the Living by Anthrax came out the same year and shat all over Appetite for Destruction. And okay, you know, that's cool. I love Anthrax. Anthrax, easily one of my top 10 favorite bands. Out of the big four bands, without a doubt, my favorite band. And uh, there is an Anthrax album that will be featured within the next few months on the Classic Albums column. It won't be Among the Living. I'll mention that because that album is always discussed to death. It's almost as if they've only ever put out that album. So I chose another album. And it may be a popular decision for some. It may be unpopular. And for those asking, you know, I didn't compile this list just out of my own opinion. I compiled it based on interviews that I've done with people, both on the record and off the record, chit-chatting with artists, you know, once an interview is done, or beforehand, you know, talking about different bands that they've played with and what songs they've played and what songs that they actually love. So, you know, it wasn't easy to put together. There are some difficult decisions. There are some things like Appetite for Destruction, which is obvious with Guns N' Roses. I mean, I wasn't going to choose the spaghetti incident, obviously. So... um so yeah, so so there you go. Uh, anyway, regarding the Among the Living album, sure, you know you that may be your personal preference, but I don't think you can, you know, look away from the influence that Appetite for Destruction had. It changed everything. Shit, it made Lars Ulrich go out and buy a fucking white leather jacket. If you read Lon Friend's book. you'll you'll understand why I'm mentioning that. Anyway, it changed everything, you know. It sort of was like a hose that washed away a lot of garbage, and, uh, you know, not all by itself. You know, a lot of people tend to say that Nirvana did this or that, but Guns N' Roses was there, Metallica's Black Album was there, and the saturation of MTV killing us with all these damn power ballads, I think, is what really you know, helped do away with a lot of what was going on at that time. So uh, around that time, I checked out for the first time a band. I believe they're Scottish. They're definitely British. The name of the band is The Almighty. The lead singer is Ricky Warwick. Ricky Warwick, a few years back, became the lead singer of Thin Lizzy. And obviously Thin Lizzy changed the name of the band to Black Star Riders. Whether that's a popular decision or not, I mean, it's a big gamble by them because you're not going to have that name recognition that Thin Lizzy had. But they're on Nuclear Blast, which is a great label. So hopefully their you know, PR people are, are working overtime to make sure that people check them out. In any event, we're going to check out the title track of the album, All Hell Breaks Loose by the Black Star Riders. And let me know what you guys think. You could drop me a line... Uh, you could send the email to input at marsattacksradio.com. And also, we now have a toll-free number you could call and leave a message. It is 1-888-920-2473. So during the week, if you want to drop us a line and leave your opinion... You could do that as well at no cost to you because it's a toll-free number. So this is one of the many things that we're trying to do to improve 
Mars attacks going forward. And like I said, getting back to the discussion about Talking Metal Digital, there are a lot of cool things in the works. Be patient as they roll out. I think you guys are really going to like what we're doing. But anyway, jumping around here, let's get to a little Black Star Riders with All Hell Breaks Loose. Downtown Babylon, the contract for blood ain't worth the paper that it's on. To the dark side of the road, where the junkies play and hide, it's a one way ticket on a slow death suicide. Don't you turn your back on me, don't you turn your back, don't you turn your back. The coming of the fools When all hell breaks loose All hell breaks loose I walk a murder mile Wearing dead man's shoes When all hell breaks loose All hell breaks loose I drink to remember Why I drink to forget It's love necessity But just goddamn ignorance Aggregate and segregate Contemplate my fate Keep the fights real, brother Leave some blood in the place Don't you turn your back on me Don't you turn your back Don't you turn your back Man, as I see the glory Of the coming of the fools Well, all hell theme going anvil is back with another new album name of the album is hope in hell 
This is the title track off of the album, Hope in Hell by Anvil. Purple just recently put out a new album produced by Bob Ezrin. And I can't say that I've been a big fan of the work that they've done with Steve Morris. I understand what a great talent he is. And maybe it's just that, you know, I like Deep Purple, but I can't say I'm a super fan of the band. Regardless, I saw the video for this track up on Blabbermouth. 
and thought it was really cool. So let's include it in the episode here. The name of the album is Now What? name of this track is Vincent Price by Deep Purple. find out that Bob Ezrin brought one of his cronies along to do some sort of musicianship on this album. Drives me nuts seeing the interview where Steve Morris is saying that Bob Ezrin sort of had to reteach him how to do this or that. Are you kidding me, Steve Morris? You know, with how technically adapt he is and how he's played with countless people and Bob Ezrin is going to tell him, you know, how, how to do this or how to do that. Mind-boggling. Anyway... On to spiritual beggars. Charlie D'Angelo was nice enough 
to come on and talk to us right before the release of the album. Uh, this was meant to come out a lot sooner. This was meant to come out, you know, around the time the album came out. But as I mentioned during the last episode, uh, health reasons sort of didn't allow that to happen. Uh, hopefully we've gotten over that good old messed up hill of, you know, infections and just garbage that I was dealing with for the longest time. So, uh, anyway, not to bore you guys, but let's play a little bit of Kingmaker, which I think is my favorite track off of Earth Blues. Almost said Earth Blood. Earth Blood's another album. I don't know. I'll figure that one out. Anyway, Earth Blues. This is Kingmaker by Spiritual Beggars. And then we'll get into the interview with Charlie D'Angelo. beggars and awesome awesome bass player um he asked me to mention that he was awesome off the air so i'm going to start off by saying that oh well thank you very much for uh you know saying that and and thinking that <laughs> sure no no problem um a lot of people know you from spiritual beggars obviously they know you from arch enemy and other projects um what type of mindset do you have to get in when you're recording with spiritual beggars, do you channel, say, different influences than you would for any of the other projects that you've worked with? But definitely, you just you know you hit the uh, the head on the nail right there. Um, because it, I mean, there's so much stuff that that you listen to, different types of music, and of course you end up 
wanting to um, to have an outlet for that um, as well. Right. So have, you know, so having you know spiritual beggars, it it can be in many ways like a musical vacation uh, for right. me personally, uh, because you get you get to discover uh, other sides of your musicality that just sometimes just tend to like sort of lie dormant uh, for right. a longer period of time. And then you can just go and sort of revisit it and sort of refresh it. And that's good for everything that you're doing because you, you, um, you sort of learn to see things with, with, uh, with different eyes. Um, sure. So, yeah, so it's definitely, it's, it's very refreshing to have something different to do once in a while. Yeah, that's a very interesting point. It was something that I wanted to bring up because obviously with Arch Enemy, you're touring for albums for a very extended period of time. So does it ever get to a point where you're thinking, ah, you know, I I want to get up and play something different. You know, I've already played We Will Rise for the last year and a half, two years. Can I get up there and play, you know, something else? I need another outlet to, before coming back to this. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's it, you know I I you know I enjoy playing. We would rise every time we do it because um, you know you have if I you know I wouldn't sit at home and play. We will rise because that wouldn't <laughs> give me anything. But you know uh, it you know songs like that is it's just because it's such a great uh, sort of meeting with with your audience. And you right. get so much energy back that you know songs like that either they they get uh, they get completely energized. But at the same time, um, playing in one band all the time, I think I, not that I think that I, that we would with our enemy just like stagnate in any way if we didn't do anything else because we get an outlet for a lot of different influences in that band as well. But just sure. to play with different people and and in a different environment, uh, musical and personal, um, I think is very healthy in the long run. Um, and I definitely do take all the experiences that I get with spiritual beggars, like you know, back into Arch Enemy, as well as like all the stuff that we've done with Arch Enemy has. Um, that taught me a lot of things that I bring back into spiritual beggars as well. So sure. everything, you know, so it's, it's a give and take from, from, from all angles. Sure. Okay. And how different is it for you to play with one guitarist in spiritual beggars, as opposed to playing with two guitarists uh, in Arch Enemy? Do you have to prepare yourself to play differently to sort of fill in more spaces with more notes and, just playing different styles, or is it more or less the same in your mind? No, I mean, I, I think I think I approach it the same way um, initially, but mm -hmm. with our with our enemy, where where you know the wall of guitars is pretty massive, um, things might not really come through uh, very well, and then I try. I mean, I tend to. Uh, to strip down things and to get to the point like quicker. Um, it's yeah, because you know, there's a different point there to actually get mm -hmm. to than there is in, in beggars. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it's, it's definitely more space if you only have one guitar. 
And instead of having two guitars, there's like one guitar and one Hammond organ instead. Um, right. And it, it's just different dynamics that you have to play with and different parameters sure. as well. Uh, and it definitely gives me, uh, I mean, I have all the freedom that I want in Arch Enemy as well, but the thing is I, I tend to not use it as much just because sure. I don't think it sounds good with, with that type of music. So, but in, in Spiritual Vegas, it's like with that kind of music or the kind of songs that, that we write, it's it's almost called for sometimes. To, you know, if, sure. I, if I just if I just went with a bare minimum, it would be almost like, it would be like something missing, at least because I grew up with this type of music. And sure. I think, you know, it should be there. You know, it should be a lot from all, from all instruments, sort of like in, in a different way than it is if you play something that sort of just balls to the wall extreme most of the time. Sure. Absolutely. Okay. Um, as far as you know, the influences that you sort of referenced, um, is it sort of um, shocking to you, per se, uh, to hear people, you know, maybe kids or younger fans of of Arch Enemy, for example, that maybe don't appreciate some of the influences that maybe uh, inspired spiritual beggars, or even, you know, say, well, that's not metal. You know, I can't get into it because it doesn't sound like metal to me. Is it surprising to you that, you know, so many years later, there's almost like a rule book as to what's metal and what isn't metal? Um, well, I think some people, they mean, they, they, they're, um, they're accustomed to a certain sound. And that's sort of like, especially when you're young, you can be very set in your ways, like in, but this is what I like. And this is what I don't like. Cause you know, I was definitely like that, you know, when I was okay. when I was you know, in my younger teens and stuff. Uh, but then, the more stuff you hear, the more you want to hear. And sure, I think um, I think you you yeah you've definitely become more open minded with with age. And I do believe that there there are things that say, for example, I mean even Arch Enemy. I mean, there might be a lot of extreme metal fans that that at first couldn't get into us because it was like, Ew, what the hell's going on there? It's like all these like <laughs> like melodies and guitar solos and things like that, you know. But then they they um, do appreciate like you know the extremeness of things, and sure. and you know. But then sort of like they learn to like sort of like the melodies and stuff. So we have the same type of melodies and things and you know, solos, things like that in Spiritual Beggars, so they can see that connection and maybe by listening to Spiritual Beggars they can get into other bands that you know, older bands that, that we got influenced by. So sure. that's sort of like how I got to um know about a lot of music when I was younger. Like older music or other music from other genres and stuff. It's just because they just you know, there are connections mm -hmm. um all the way from you know one band to another, you know, whether it being influenced or somebody played with that person, and then you just investigate if you're a music fan. Sure, absolutely. Um, I agree with you 100%. Uh, everything sort of ties together, I think. And if music is good, it's good no matter what genre or what you know subgenre of metal or hard rock or whatever it might be. So, 
mm-hmm. with with this album, it really feels, and the album that we're talking about is uh, Earth Blues. It sounds very natural. Uh, it sounds as if you know you guys just got in the studio and really just hammered these songs out. How did recording this album differ from, uh, say, Return to Zero or any other Spiritual Beggars album? Um, I think it was more, um, it was more sort of like organically made in an old school way, so to speak, uh, compared to Return to Zero, um, which was, I don't know. Yeah, it, it was. This one was done a lot quicker. I think we just, uh, I think we just felt very, very sort of, you know, comfortable with with the band now and you know not that we felt like uncomfortable when we did return to zero but it had been five years since we last recorded something right um and we also had a new singer but now that we've you know we, we recorded return to zero and and in that sense sort of like repopped the cherry a little bit uh, sure. And sort of got back, yeah, got back on the horse, and then going out and we played live a lot, and then that sort of made us, um, I don't know, I guess we got the steam back up again, and you know, and sort of like just went with the momentum of it, and so I think we just felt really comfortable with just going in, just everybody in the same room, just banging out basically, and just do a take or two, and you know just jam out in the studio and see what works and, uh, you know, just go from there. Um, so I think that's probably why the album sounds a little bit different to the last one. Um, mm-hmm. and which I think is a good thing because, you know, you don't want to repeat the same thing over and over again. Uh, sure. you know, we still, it still very, very much sounds like spiritual beggars, but if you look at return to Sarah and then put it next to earth blues, uh, you have two different sort of like facets of the same gem, if I may say so sure. myself. <laughs> no, I think there's there's a noticeable difference. I think especially um, with Apollo's performance, I think it almost sounds a little bit more natural with this album. Not that it was bad with the last album, but it just seems like everything just sort of melted together. And the album, I personally think, is a lot better than... Return to zero, but that's just my opinion. No, but I mean, I I definitely agree with you. It's you know, I think it's, it was it was it was done a little bit snappier as well. Um, we uh, uh, just because we recorded the way we recorded it, we could sort of like immediately feel what worked and what what didn't. So right. thereby, it's like you know. We, we sort of kept the energy level up, and I think you can tell from listening to it. Whereas Return to Zero had a completely different feel. It was a bit more, um, bit more epic in a way, um, and you know, a lot of ex- experimentation was done in the studio with different things, especially with vocals, since we had, you know, um, Apollo coming in and being our you know lead vocalist for the first time. Um, so. Mm-hmm. So it, it was, in that sense, a bit more of, of, of uh, yeah, some some kind of experiment, you, you know, you could you could say. Um, even though, I mean, I still feel that album is, like, very solid. It's just very different from Earth Blues. 
Right, absolutely. Okay. Is there anything when you went in to record this album that you consciously wanted to try different with your bass playing or maybe with your setup? Or is it more or less along the lines of what you've used with past albums? Um, I think, I think, no, I, I, I think it just, ha- everything happens right there and then in the moment. So I didn't have any sort of like preconceived notion of something that I, oh, I don't like that, you know. Maybe just sort of, well, sound-wise that I wanted it to be, um, uh, like for example, the one thing that's not uh, good about like the Demons album, uh, which was my first with the band, you know, um, was that I think we all tried to sort of like max out our sound completely and everybody was just like bigger and louder than everybody else. And <laughs> right. um, if we if we had just sort of like taken it down a few notches, uh, I think the production value of that album would have been a little bit better. Um, I still like the album, you know, still love the songs. It's just, you know, we're, everybody's trying, or at least I was, I think maybe because it was my first (laughs) album with the band, but they overdid certain things there where I've now definitely taken it sort of like back to where it's supposed to be and Mm -hmm. feeling that I'm uh, a lot more in the pocket with things uh, sonically than I was back then. Um, And I guess, you know, you have to find uh, your foot in with with everything. Um, so so uh, you know if I would have if I would have been able to go back and re-record that album or my parts of that album, I don't think anybody else needs it because it's, uh, it's just my stuff that I'm a little bit irritated with. Uh, right. I was just, yeah, I think it was just like sort of like sound with the playing. A lot of the playing that I did, uh, you know, I still like that. But it's just like sort of sound-wise. It was a little bit too much. But um, those are just the kind of, you know, beginner mistakes that you do. Um, sure. And, you know, it, it, you know, it felt right back then. So it's, you know, it's what we did then. And it's snapshot in time of of, of who we were then. Um mm-hmm. But I feel a lot more comfortable with the way and the direction that we're taking right now. You know, ask me again in two years. I mean, I might have a completely <laughs> different opinion. But you know, that's sure. life. That's that's and that's music. You know, you know your your taste and your um, your approach to things. I mean, they they constantly evolve and change. So um, so sure. um, and that's the thing. That's the, the fun thing about music as well. The fun thing about being in a band. That that it it turns out differently every time you try it because you don't really want to repeat yourself too much. So so you always have like some sort of new idea about something and or just like a new is this a new feeling about something you know right. which probably probably you know gets set off by the songs that you're playing at the moment and you can immediately feel what they call for. Sure. Okay. Um, you have a signature bass, which is an Iceman, and Iceman has been uh, associated with uh, a lot of different bands, well, a lot of different bands, um, namely uh, a band that you covered in, in Arch Enemy, Kiss. Is Kiss the reason why you selected the body shape of the Iceman, or is that something that Ivan has presented to you to see if you wanted to try it? No, nah, well, the thing was... Um... 
they like when I started to uh, to work with Ibanez, uh I was kind of looking to you know what kind of stuff do you have? And you know they they approached me and asked me if I was interested in in uh, in something. And and I was like you know do you still have like Eichmann like bases? And they're like nah. Well, not really. You know, we had these two. They had one in the beginning of the 90s, and they had one, like, at the end of the 90s. And um, so I said, well, you know, that's sort of what I want. And they were like, okay, absolutely. And, of course, it does definitely have to do with with Paul Stanley. Um, (laughs) You know, that that was on my bedroom wall. Like, you know, the pictures from, uh, from Alive 2. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that sort of, I mean, I, and I even had like on, on my pin board, I had an old, uh, ad from, I think he might've been guitar player or maybe musician magazine from like mm-hmm. 1977, like when he's, you know, just an, an Ibanez ad when he holds it up, like, you know, for the first time, it's like, ah, oh, it's like, oh, that is a beautiful thing. So that's, that's <laughs> definitely why I picked that one. Um, and it hasn't really been very present as a base, um, so I thought you know, time to bring it back. Sure. Does your base setup change at all uh, in a live environment uh, with spiritual beggars to oppose to arch enemy? Um. Yeah. Uh, well, not well, sort of. I don't think that this. I can use basically the same gear, but the settings might be uh, slightly different. I mean, live, I still play, you know, the um, play Aguilar amps, and I still play uh, Ibanez basses and stuff. But it's like they say the bass is a little bit different than my normal signature model because it's something with that's something that's completely passive and got different woods and it's got a bolt on neck and it's a it's very very different um look mm-hmm. and sort of like feel wise but that's sort of uh what fits uh beggars better um sure so so but then it's like i think it's just like it's the settings change a little bit but then it's mostly sort of like the attitude in your playing is quite a bit different um and that sort of like you know that goes back to what I was saying about the Demons albums album before was that that I think I sort of went in with a little bit of an arch enemy attitude sound wise on that album where I should have sort of just stepped back a few steps sure. and you know taken it down a few notches, um, which is you know so that's that's basically what I do and it just calls for a different type of sound and a different type of playing because <clears throat> as you said before, I mean, it, it's, you know, it's just, it's one guitar and it's mm-hmm. more space for me to fill up as well. Sound wise too, uh, especially in a live environment um, with, uh, with Arch Enemy, it's very much more to find that, um, that thing, you know, that part of the sound that gels uh, the guitars to the drums and everything. Whereas here, it's like you, there's a lot more space to 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 be filled. Okay, gotcha. Um, if you were able to put a bill together, money wouldn't be an option, and you could select a band that currently exists and one that doesn't exist. And this 
can consist of people that are no longer around. Uh, what two bands would you pick to go out on tour with, with Spiritual Beggars? Oh, um, shit. <laughs> um, two bands. Um, well, just, I would say, um, I would say Rainbow 1976. Okay. That lineup with, yeah, with Jimmy Bain, uh, Tony Carey, Richard Blackmore, Ronnie Dio, and Cozy Powell. And it would be uh, Uriah Heap, 1973. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, with Gary Thane on bass and David Byron on vocals. Uh, that's just on the top, off the top of my head. Uh, <laughs> ask me again in five minutes. <laughs> I might change my mind. <laughs> Any reason why those two bass players stick out to you? Uh, Gary Fain definitely is is one of my favorites of all time um, because I don't know if it had anything to do with uh, the substance abuse that that ultimately and sadly led to his demise. But okay, but he was just, he was just completely out there. You know, he would do right. like major things over minor or the other way around. And rhythmically, he just seemed to be all over the place and completely out there. But it worked so well with the music. Um, Jimmy Bain, um, especially back then, like in the 70s, if you listen to the stuff that he plays on, on, on the Rainbow on Stage live album, um, it's like him and Cozy Powell. It's like what they're doing there is just like... That is that is very much because I mean it's it's the same sort of lineup as as spiritual beggars have, mm -hmm. and a lot of the music might be you know somewhat similar, and that's the sort of thing that I try to create. You know, I try to to lock in with Ludwig, and and just complement everything else because if you have a strong singer, a strong uh, a very present uh, like lead guitar player. And and an, and an extremely talented keyboard player as well. It's like you have to find your way in between that and complement all of those uh, ingredients. Um, but uh, you know, but now that you start to talk about bass players, well, then it's like, well, you know, I was at first I was about to say Sabbath, but I was thinking that right. you know that was a little bit too unoriginal. But then again, just <laughs> just imagine sharing the stage with. Uh, with uh, Geezer Butler. I mean, he sure. is, after all, one of my absolute biggest influences of all time. Um, so, but yeah, you know, <laughs> could I, you know, could I choose a thousand band bill instead? <laughs> yeah, it's always a, a difficult decision. Uh, the younger, younger musicians always end up picking a, Pantera and older musicians always go towards, and I'm saying older, we're we're the same age more or less, but uh, end up gravitating yeah. towards Sabbath, Zeppelin, Rainbow, and things like that. So, I know where you're coming. Yeah, from. you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that, that it's 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 extremely typical. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is the last album that you picked up and really got you excited? 
Grand Magus, uh, the hunt, it is that is I think like by far the best sort of like hard rock and metal album that I've heard in a long time, and because uh, I think they have that the uh, the sense of like playing music that that might um, reach back a little bit in time uh, style wise, mm-hmm. but you know they have their modern age uh, edge to it. Um, but yeah, no. So definitely the hunter, yeah. Okay. And you've worked with a bunch of different groups outside of the ones that we've mentioned throughout this interview. Is there one specific album that you thought that could have or should have received more attention but didn't? All of them, basically. It's very, very hard to... It's very, very hard to say... There are, you know, there are a couple albums that I love that never, that that I, you know, involved with that didn't really take off the way that I would have wanted them to. But I think that could be said of like most of the things I've done. So, uh, you know, I I, I choose to to include them all.
listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. I'm your host, Victor, and now I must break you. There you go. The interview with Charlie D'Angelo and a little bit of black feathers from or off of On Fire, I should say, by Spiritual Beggars. want to thank Charlie D'Angelo for taking the time out to speak to us. He also gave us some great comments for the Classic Albums column, which will air shortly. I also want to thank Nikki Law from Century Media for helping set all of that up. And want to remind you guys to subscribe on iTunes, leave us your comments, uh, good, bad, or indifferent. Helps us out. Either way, just want to get some comments up there. Also, remember, if you're on an Android, subscribe via Stitcher. If you want to check us out on Facebook, it is Facebook forward slash Mars Attacks Radio. If you want to check us out on Twitter, it is uh, Twitter forward slash Mars Aries 2005. You could always tweet me as well at VMR907. Uh, what else? Regardless, you can get to all that great stuff by going to the homepage of MarsAttacksRadio.com and you'll find that right there on the right-hand side. Remember the affiliates program and remember to donate if you can. That's pretty much it. I want to thank you guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Remember to check out the stream. Even when we're not on live, there is 24 hours of cool, kick-ass hard rock and metal and there will be more to come. That's all I'm going to say about that. Anyway, thanks again, and we'll see you next time right here on the Mars Attacks podcast.
thank you for listening to the Mars Attack podcast. To keep up with the show or go back and check previous podcasts, go to MarsAttacksRadio.com or subscribe via iTunes. You can also follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash MarsAttacksRadio, on Twitter at MarsAttacks2005 and Google+. For more info, visit the homepage of MarsAttacksRadio.com.